I want to thank you again for the opportunity to preach for you this evening and to open God's Word. And Tonight we'll be uh, continuing to consider Matthew chapter 5 and uh, moving along in the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we'll be looking at two separate passages. One will come from verses 17 through 20, and the next one will come from verses 33 through 37. So I've chosen to read these two passages together because they're very closely related, and what you'll hear and what you'll see as we look at them is that they're both about words. And as I talk to you, some of, some of you today, I learned that some of you are wordsmiths. And so I would ask that you would once again give your attention here because this is God's word. Jesus says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then continuing on in verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, <coughs> for you cannot make <clears throat> even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's where we'll end our reading from the New Testament here. So you'll notice in this section <clears throat> of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he's teaching about the law. He's teaching about the Ten Commandments. And the question is being addressed here, what do those Ten Commandments look like now for Jesus' disciples, now that Jesus has come to fulfill the law? And specifically the commandment that Jesus is dealing with and that we're, we're thinking about tonight is the commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Jesus says, do not swear, but simply let your yes be yes. And your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So why do we need to hear this this evening? Well, as we think about words and the discussions, again, that I had with several of you this afternoon, and more and more in our culture, that as we turn from the commandments of God, as we turn from the truth of his word, we're being handed over lies. And what happens is we're also being handed over to confusion. And very often we feel that we cannot trust 
the people who are placed in authority over us because so often they don't tell the truth. And it can, it can become for us very difficult to know, well, how do we proceed? How do we live our lives when we can't trust the words from the people who are in authority over us? But I want to encourage you this evening and say as God's people, for God's people, God has never left us in confusion. In that confusion that we feel, we should be more certain of the truth of God's word. God has not left us wondering where do we turn. And God has not left us not knowing whom we are to trust. So what I hope that we can see this evening is actually that God has made, it, made things very, very clear for us. He's made things very, very simple for us. And that should give us a great confidence and a great assurance, even as we are living in a culture of so much confusion. Jesus, he came to fulfill the law. The salvation that has been wrought by Jesus Christ is total. It is absolute. In the New Covenant, as we're thinking about covenant in our reading for tonight, in the New Covenant, the law is not written on tablets of stone, hidden away behind a tabernacle, behind the curtain. It's not hidden away. But the law is written on our very hearts in the New Covenant. The law is living. And it's personal. It's so personal that it goes down to the very depths of our being. It goes down so far that it redeems even the syllables that we speak, even the words that we write, even the yeses and the noes that come from our mouths. So what I hope that we'll see this evening is just one aspect of what is really an inexhaustible field of study, and that is that Jesus Christ, he is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And what I hope that we can see is that because Jesus is the Word of God, that we have a complete salvation in Jesus Christ. So to help us think about Jesus as the Word of God, this evening you'll find this on the back of your bulletins. I'll be using these three points. First of all, that because Jesus is the Word of God, God has sworn. And secondly, that because Jesus is the Word of God, Jesus has sworn. And thirdly, because Jesus is the Word of God, let your yes be yes. Let your yes be yes. So you might be thinking, Chris, you're saying that God has sworn. That's your first point. Jesus has sworn. But in the passage that we just read, Jesus says, do not swear at all. And because Jesus says this here, some people say, well, that we should never take oaths. And I don't believe that that's true. And I'll just, if you do, then I'll just ask for your patience as we work through these points and through the scriptures tonight to let the scriptures explain the points of this sermon. So for our first point, God has sworn. Jesus says this in the text. Well, he's dealing with this when he says, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until heaven and earth disappear. <clears throat> and in the scriptures, there are several examples of God taking an oath or God making promises. And you can probably think of some 
We've already looked at one from 2 Samuel chapter 7, but I'd like you to also think about, and you could jot this down in your notes if you like, think about the other familiar example from Genesis chapter 22. That's where we see the roots of the oath that God swears to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So in Genesis chapter 22, the background of what we're looking at is that Abraham, in obedience to God's command, he goes off to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But at the last moment, God stops Abraham from offering Isaac, and God swears an oath to Abraham. So I'm looking at verse 15 of Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So we see from this example that Jesus is not teaching that it's sinful to take oaths because God himself here swears and God takes an oath. And as we think about God taking oaths, I would like to point this out, that God's oaths are not like ours and that God's promises in a lot of ways are not like ours. So one way that we see that is that when God speaks very simply, one way that God's words are not like our words, that when God speaks, the world springs into existence. Heaven and earth are created. When God says, let there be light, or let the land produce vegetation, or let the water teem with living creatures, let birds fly across the expanse of the heavens, and let us make man in our image, these things happen. And just ask, what would happen if the smallest letter, if the least stroke of the pen disappeared from God's creative speech? What if God had said, let there be, and didn't finish with that final syllable? What would have happened to the light, or the land, or the birds, or the fish, or the people? See, God's words call into existence from nothing. They're not like our words in that respect. And of course, in the fullness of revelation, don't forget that we're thinking about Jesus being the word of God. We learn that Jesus is that word. He is the word through whom God created all things. We read that in John chapter 1. Through him, all things were created. There's a, there's a second way that God's words are not like our words. And that is that God not only, I think this is something that we forget very often as Christians, that God not only created the world, we, we tend to get that one as Christians, God created the world by his words, but that's not all. God actively sustains the word. He sustains the world through the word of his power. We see this, that Jesus also is the word through which God actively sustains the creation. See, we don't want to get mixed up in what's called deism, that idea that God created the world and he was involved in it at that point, but then he sort of walked away and he kind of lets the world do its own thing. No, God actively sustains 
everything in the world. We read in, in the Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So think of it again. If God were to withdraw one of his sustaining words from you, what would happen to us? If he were to restrain or so, if he were to cease his sustaining word, your breath would stop. Your heart would stop beating. The sun would not rise. And the creation would cease to exist. Jesus Christ is actively involved in sustaining you. And praise him for it. And in this way, his words are also not like our words. And as we come to our text, as we think about Matthew chapter 5, there's a third way in which God's words are not like our words. And that is God is not able to do some things with his words that we are able to do with our words, right? And that is we can lie. What we can do is we can deny the truth. We can conceal the truth with our speech. But God cannot do this. God cannot lie. There is not one word. There is not one stroke of the pen. There is not one dotted eye of falsehood that is in his word. There is not one syllable that has ever contained falsehood in God's word. And you might be thinking, well, if it's impossible for God to lie, then there really is no need for God to swear. Right? But I think that's actually not true. So the question is, why does God swear? Why does God take oaths? And the nice thing about this question is that the author of Hebrews, once again, we'll go to Hebrews, he explains exactly why God swears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. So listen to the explanation that the author of Hebrews gives about why God swears. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, we read, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. That's why men swear. But we move on to read in verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So let me say that again, because we hear this. Here is why God swears. Because he wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to you, who are the heirs of what he promised. We go on to verse 18 and read, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. So here's the second reason that God swears or makes an oath. So that we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us we may be greatly encouraged. 
We read in verse 19 that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inter, inner sanctuary behind the curtain, that place where the law was kept, to where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. A lot of things are kind of up in the air here. but I'd like you to try and keep in the back of your head that Jesus has become the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we see that God swears for two reasons. First, he swears for clarity. He swears to make clear what may be unclear to us. And he makes clear that his purpose, his promise, his word will never change. Praise God. And secondly, he swears for encouragement. He swears to encourage you who cling to him in hope. That's why he swears. See, God doesn't swear like we swear so often. And our words are not like his words because so often when we swear, when we take an oath, what we do is we're saying to people, we want to distinguish our really true words from our not-so-true words. That's not how God speaks. Or we do it to hide the truth. We can do it even to conceal the truth, to make things less clear. Let me confuse you by adding more words to this. And what this means is that we often swear to give people a false hope. And these things, Jesus teaches us, these are the things that come from the evil one. God never gives us a false hope. So we can ask next, what does God swear about? We know that he swears for clarity, he swears for encouragement. But what does he swear about? What does God want to clarify? And how does he want to encourage you? And the answer is that God swears about his son. God swears about his son. Remember what he said in Genesis chapter 22? He said, through your offspring, he says this to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. We see that same promise come to David. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, he says that Jesus Christ, he is that seed. He is that offspring of God. God swears about his son. He swears about the word of God. And I want to remind you of that sentence I asked you to tuck in the back of your head that we just read from Hebrews, that Jesus has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, because this gives us something else. It teaches us another thing that God is swearing about that Jesus would be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, what Hebrews is doing here is he's pointing us to another place where God has taken, a, taken an oath, and that's in Psalm 110. So I trust that you're fairly familiar with Psalm 110, where you remember that God swears to the Messiah, where he says, we read in verse 4 of Psalm 110, that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we see that God not only swears about his son, but he swears to his son. And God swears to Jesus that he will always be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So in wrapping up this first point, Jesus, he is the word of God. 
And he is the one about whom and the one to whom God swears. So God has sworn. And that brings us to our second point, that Jesus, he also has sworn. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus took an oath too, didn't he? Jesus, when he was arrested, he was placed under oath by the Sanhedrin, you'll remember. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're doing to Jesus what they've tried to do to him during his whole ministry. They're trying to use his words to trap him. So they're using their words and false witnesses to try and trap him with his words, the words that he spoke when he said, tear down this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And so we read in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 62, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And that's where Caiaphas turns to the oath. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Simply, yeah, let your yes be yes. So listen, listen to the yes of Jesus. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Yes. It is as you say, Jesus replied. But then Jesus goes on and he says, But I say to all of you, in the future, or from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, Jesus did not refuse to take the oath that was given to him by the Sanhedrin. And you might be thinking, as I was thinking as I prepared this, why didn't Jesus just stop with his yes? See, it seems that Jesus is kind of going beyond his yes here. See, he's kind of doing the thing, we might think, doing the very thing that he tells us that we ought not to do when he says, simply let your yes be yes. But Jesus isn't only teaching that you must give one-word answers. You see, if Jesus had said nothing more than the word yes to the oath of Caiaphas, it may have been enough for them to put Jesus to death, to condemn him for blasphemy. So you remember that earlier in his ministry, the Jews wanted to kill him because he claimed to be the Son of God, thus making himself equal with God. But think about what would have happened if Jesus had only said yes and said nothing more. Because to the Jews of Jesus' day, and we know this because this is us too today, saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that leaves so much room for confusion. God hasn't left us in confusion. How many different ideas of Messiah were there in Jesus' day? I count at least 10. But you can think of it just in, in modern terms. How many different ideas of Messiah are there today? Even in so-called Christian circles. How many people are confused? How many people are deceived about who Jesus is? Even if they'll claim that Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus is the Word of God. And Jesus, he spoke his oath the same way 
that God spoke his oath. He spoke his oath to clarify things. And he spoke his oath to encourage you. Because before the Sanhedrin, so before you, before the whole watching world, under oath, in front of the highest religious court ever held here on earth, Jesus wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. And Jesus also swore under oath in front of the highest religious court ever held on earth so that you who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to you so that you may be greatly encouraged. So there's so much to this one sentence oath that Jesus gives that we cannot cover it all, and so I'm not going to pretend to. But I want you to listen to Jesus' yes and to listen to how he makes his person and his work perfectly clear under oath, and all of it comes from the unchanging word of God. The high priest, Caiaphas, said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say. Yes, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of God's oath to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Jesus wants to make this perfectly clear to everyone under oath. But then listen to how Jesus goes on to clarify, to make perfectly clear so that there is no doubt about who Jesus is. And Jesus makes this great proclamation as our great prophet. And as we'll see in a minute, he also makes it as our great high priest. Jesus says now, he says, but from now on, from this moment forward, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Jesus takes the Sanhedrin, who know their Bible, he takes them right to the oath of God in Psalm 110. In Psalm 110 in verse 1, this is what the Sanhedrin knows and they hear. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in verse 4 of Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is saying, let me make this clear to you, the Sanhedrin. I am not only the one that God swore about in Genesis chapter 22. I am the one God swore to in Psalm 110. You, the Sanhedrin, the 70, you believe that you are sitting here in judgment of me. But the reality of it is, I am the one who sits in judgment of you. From this moment on, Caiaphas, your services as high priest are no longer required. Because of the oath, God has sworn to me that I will be the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I am that high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The order of Aaron is over. And Jesus goes on to say, let me make this clear. He says to the Sanhedrin, to the oath of God, now he brings them to Daniel chapter 7 when he says, 
from this moment on, from this moment forward, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. I am not only the priest, Jesus says, but I am the king. Daniel says in chapter 7, where the, the, the 70 of the Sanhedrin are very familiar with this scripture as well. Daniel says in chapter 7, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Jesus is saying to make clear, yes, I am the oath of God. Yes, I am the Son of Man. And yes, I am the Son of God. And yes, I am God, the Son. And then in fulfillment of God's oath, in fulfillment of his oath from Genesis 22, in fulfillment of his oath from eternity past, we hear the Sanhedrin's response to Jesus' testimony. We hear their answer to his yes and their answer is no. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy because they know exactly what he said. And their answer to who Jesus is is no. He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. And this is the fulfillment of God's oath. And in his oath, in Jesus' oath, and in fulfillment of the oath of God, Jesus went to the cross to seal his oath with his own blood. And he died for sin. So praise God that not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, has disappeared from the law. If you think of it, yes, that one syllable, that one word, that one oath of Jesus' testimony, if that were to disappear from the law, so would your salvation. But praise God, not one letter, not one syllable will disappear from that law. So in this world where we cannot trust what so many people say, we can trust the yes of Jesus. It's not the smallest. This, this is such an unbelievable consolation that Jesus gives to us. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law. Jesus testifies to this, this yes under oath so that he might make perfectly clear to you his unchanging purpose to save you and he might make perfectly clear to you his unchanging and his eternal love for you. And he also swears under oath so that you who have fled to take hold of him by faith so that you may be greatly encouraged. And that brings us to our last point. And that is that because Jesus, because he is the fulfillment of the oath of God, let your yes be yes. Let your yes be yes as well. See, every creature 
under heaven is bound by this testimony of Jesus. We are bound by that yes of his oath. How do we answer? We see how the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, answered. They said no. But it is placed before us that every person must answer the testimony of Jesus with their yes or with their no. Caiaphas asks, and we ask as we consider this, is Jesus the Christ? Well, let's clarify that from the words that we consider. Jesus clarifies it for us as well. Does that mean that Jesus is the eternal son of the living God? Is Jesus the mediator of a new covenant? Is he our great prophet, our great priest? Is he our great king? Is he the Lord who sits now at the right hand of God, the one whose kingdom will never be destroyed? Is he the one who has all authority, the one who has all glory, the one who has all sovereign power, so that all peoples, all nations, all men of every tribe and language will come before him and worship him. Is he the eternal word of God? Is Jesus the fulfillment of every word and letter and syllable of the promises of God? From Moses to the Psalms and the prophets and even to the apostles. Is Jesus the one who was handed over by the Sanhedrin? by God's set purpose and foreknowledge to die so that you might have eternal life? Is Jesus, as Thomas, his disciple, said, is Jesus your Lord and your God? Every part person is bound by this testimony, and as it were, every person is placed under that oath, and let your yes be yes. This is, Jesus is who he says he is. Let your yes be yes. And if the yes of Jesus' testimony is the yes of your testimony, his yes and his oath leading to his death is that same oath that leads to your life, that leads to your life. So from now on, those who proclaim this yes that have the same testimony as Jesus Christ from your yes, Jesus is my Lord. He is my God. From that yes, every other word that comes from your mouth is changed. It's not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen. Even the words that come from our very mouths, they are no longer destined to death. But they're set free to eternal life. Our words are no longer words that are bound by death. They're bound by eternal life. So how does this apply to us? Why does Jesus say, do not swear at all? Well, it doesn't mean that taking oaths is sinful, and we've seen that because God takes an oath. Jesus takes an oath. And we are placed under the weight of that oath. So why does Jesus say in Matthew 5 that we must not swear by heaven or by earth, or by Jerusalem, even the hairs on our own head. Because even though our words are not like his words in some respects, through the redemption that's accomplished by Jesus Christ, our words become like his words. 
as those who are living the new life in Jesus Christ, our speech, it becomes like God's speech. Our words are no longer words that are bound to death. We no longer kill one another with our words, as Jesus also teaches about in Matthew chapter 5. But our words become words of life. They They become words of truth. And they become words of love. But because we still live in a sinful world, we sometimes still take oaths, don't we? And we still sometimes take oaths because we now take them in the same way that God has taken them. We take oaths to make perfectly clear the unchanging nature of our purpose. And we also take oaths so that those who are hoping in what we are promising, so that they may be greatly encouraged. So think about the oaths that we sometimes do take. Simple words and simple syllables. I do. Why do we take these at weddings? Because we want to make the unchanging nature of our purpose very clear, not only to our spouse, but also to the witnesses. And because those who are hoping in what we are promising, so that they may be greatly encouraged. Think in the other places that we take oaths, church membership. Yes, I believe these things. Yes, it is my purpose to make my life to follow these things as a disciple of Jesus. Think of the Lord's Supper, which is a little different. It's not an oath that we say with our mouths, and yet it is like it as we take the bread, as we take the cup. Yes, I believe these things, and I am eating and drinking these promises to myself. And I do promise to live according to them in the strength of God. So just as God has sworn, he swore by himself. We also swear in his name. We don't swear in our own name. Our oaths become like his oaths. So as the scriptures say this in several places, but I'll just leave you with one to think about. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. God says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. His name is our only authority. And this goes back to what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. There is nothing in our existence as children of God, there is nothing that is not touched by the redemption of Jesus Christ. Not our words, but heaven. We don't take our oaths by heaven. Heaven has been touched by the redemption of Jesus Christ. Not We don't take our oaths by the earth. Why? Because the earth has been touched by the redemption of Jesus Christ. We don't take our oaths in the name of Jerusalem. Because every city belongs to Jesus Christ. Not the hairs on our head. Not the temple. Not the gold in the temple. We are not to swear by these things as if they in themselves were somehow autonomous or somehow authoritative. That's idolatry. All these things for the Christian have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. To swear in those things comes from the evil one. And we also never swear to conceal the truth. That also comes from the evil one. So we never take oaths. We never do anything as if redemption has not been accomplished and applied. So in conclusion, praise God.
that Jesus is the Word of God. God has sworn. And praise God that because Jesus is the Word of God, Jesus has sworn. We, have, we can place all of our confidence in the testimony of Jesus. And that testimony in its entirety is right here. And not one word has ever proven false or ever will prove false. And thirdly, because Jesus is the Word of God, let your yes be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has been faithfully preached among your people and among your people here for many years now, we praise you that Jesus Christ, who has been faithfully preached among us, was never yes and no. But in him, in Jesus Christ, it has always been yes. No matter how many promises you have made, Heavenly Father, all of them are yes and all of them are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we praise you that this is what you promised us. You have promised us even eternal life. And we pray that through Jesus Christ, that that amen, that that yes would be spoken by us in every area of our lives to the glory of God. And Lord, while we, we know that there are so many that we cannot trust, even those who are in authority over us, I pray that we would trust and that we would take encouragement and we would build our lives on the promises that you have made, that we would never confuse the truthfulness of your word with the suspicion of the world. We pray that we would be building our lives on these promises that you have made, the ones, those promises that you have fulfilled, Lord Jesus, and that you are continuing to fulfill in your word and in the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.